This week's episode was brought to you by Beverly Orduno and Arbitrary Name. If you enjoy The Whole Rabbit and would like to help support us cranking out new episodes every week, please consider visiting www.patreon.com slash the whole rabbit and becoming a subscriber. Our lowest tier gets access to all our extended episodes, a 5x5 vinyl sticker of our cover art, and access to our Discord server where we banter incessantly about the weird stuff you hear on the show. This week, we're joined by Keaton Houdima, author of the recently published Utopia Psychonautica, a mystic manifesto integrating Thelema and libertarianism in a prescription meant to save humanity itself. If you'd like to check out Utopia Psychonautica, you can find it for free at utopiapsychonautica.com, along with other ways to support the author. For some reason, a weird compression was activated on my microphone specifically, so I sound a bit distorted. I apologize for the irregularities with the sound, and I've fixed it for next week. So, in the extended episode, we continued discussing psychedelics, cults, and philemic theology. If you liked the first hour, you might just enjoy the second half even more. So, thank you, and enjoy the show. You got some coffee? Oh, see, it's coffee and dogs. Oh, absolutely. This is what we're changing the show to. Coffee dogs. Imagine coffee flavored hot dogs. You might have just done something. That's like, you don't have time for breakfast and you need lunch early. Coffee dogs. Force feed a pig caffeine for its entire life. That is a, a genius idea. Element. You know, it's like Fargoa, but caffeine. Turn that into bacon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Whole Rabbit, where we don't just dip our toes into the river of insanity, only to come out with a fresh, cool pitcher of pure wisdom for our bouquet of carnivorous plants. No, we dive in, slew up the current, past the Flopian Falls, beyond the cosmogonic caverns, and straight into the womb of wisdom itself. And then write about it, or try to, if you're me. But we're not talking about me today, thank God. No, we're talking about the author of Utopia Psychonautica, the preternaturally punk rock magic manifesto expounding on the crossroads of Thelema, libertarianism, and life itself. So please, give a warm welcome to the hero fant of hope, Keaton Hudima. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for Can't coming. get into all this. Very important. It is relevant. We usually don't talk about politics on the show, but now's not a bad time. Yeah, this is one of the few outlets that would really understand what Utopia Psychonautica is about. Excellent. I'm eager. I'm, I'm eager to get into it, too. And since the amazing Mari Sama is joining us. Hello, everyone. She threw herself under the bus like a week or two ago on the show by calling herself a libertarian on air. God forbid. Uh, why is this such a bad word? I don't know. Because everyone thinks we're like evil. Did I just say yeah, we, we? I don't have political yeah. opinions. Excuse me. Go. Thank you. Well, it's better than saying you're an independent. Let me put it that way. I put no affiliation on my ticket yeah. when I redid mine. So because this isn't a political podcast, as you said, I'm not sure if you'd want me to completely delve into all the reasons why 
libertarian is what I would call the most spiritually applicable political philosophy, as well as why radical libertarianism is the only correct outlook when it comes to all matters, foreign, domestic, and economic. But as people like Jack Parsons realized, libertarianism is the closest political reflection of Thelema. Well, I wanted to ask you about that first. How did you discover Thelema? Yeah, and when did you, and then after discovering it, when did you realize that it was something you wanted to like associate yourself with whenever anyone discovers the lima they don't really know what it is but the vibe of it seems very profound so that profound fish hook is what i got caught on i just to make it plain when i first got into occultism it was i think i picked up a copy of levee's satanic bible and that felt very much like what i was looking for and then when i read the book of the law i was like what the hell is this at some point, and then it's like what you said, at some point the hook got me and I was like, this is the exact flavor that the world needs right now. And I can totally, I, yeah, like I said, I totally empathize with what you say. And as someone who's written a book, which is heavily influenced by Philema, surprisingly, I haven't read a lot of Crowley stuff. I've read the book of the law probably 50 to 75 times, and I've read the book of Thoth. That's pretty much it. But the general thrust, and you mentioned Jack Parsons earlier. Right, because he is an obvious link between libertarianism and Thelema that you could point to. And he, of course, wrote his continuation of the Book of the Law. But I'm not sure that he had the information to do what I've done here in Utopia Psychonautica, which I'm sure he had hints of as far as combining libertarianism and Thelema in an official way. He definitely was not as erudite as Crowley. And even Crowley is accused of changing some words from what Nuit had given him or Iwas. It, it was in the first section is the way I say that. I'm sure yeah. he did, even though he had that one verse about do not change. What was it? Do not change so much as a style, the character. Yes. And there's like lines, of course, missing from Jack Parsons book four. And I think when Crowley got it, he's just like, this is not what this is not how I would do it. That's the impression I got. I wasn't very impressed with Parsons attempt either, but. Maybe I just haven't looked into it enough. I'm not a part of any Thelemic organizations. Are you part of any? Are you in like the OTO? Just I feel like that's a big question I got to get out of the way. I'm not. I've never been to a meeting or anything like that, but I'm excited to go to my first Gnostic Mass. Oh, cool. Hopefully in the near future. I have to go to my first one too. I'd like to start now that I've put this out, but I was a bit concerned about really talking about any of these ideas with anybody until they were published. So now that it's out, I'm ready to spread the word. Well, you hit me up around the time that I lost my mind uh, experiencing the Sophia sometime back in May. And it's like you could just kind of tell by my vibe. I think you had listened to maybe one of the shows and you were like, oh, you had a beyond the veil experience. And that's when you first hit me up. And then I look at your text and it says some interesting things like right away. Very early in the work, it says you will always be okay. You will always be safe. And that's the message I got from my guardian angel around the time that you first contacted me. And 
it's interesting now to see this philosophy being all taken and put into something that you can chew on like politically. Is this like a sequel to Lieber Alvel Legis? Is this like number two or is this something entirely of its own? I would say that it's an homage. You could call it a sequel. Some parallels between the two are chapter three of the Book of the Law is essentially a prediction chapter, you could call it. You've talked about that. It is prophetic. Book three, right. Rahor Queet. So it's about our current time and all that's going on and all that's soon to come. That is what I'm trying to do with chapter two of Utopia Psychonautica, except I'm more blatant about the political aspects and political predictions that I've made. Obviously, both are... You could call poetry. I'm not sure that mine is as poetic as the book of the law, but that's because I was trying to not beat around the bush. I'm just trying to get the information that I've been transmitted and put it all in one place. Yeah, I, I really like the formatting on this. That you Did you choose to do it as a list? Because it seems like a like a list of rules or something, but you really do get to the point with each thing, you know, and there's a lot of stuff in here. Yeah, you could call it a list. I've tried to make it as logically concise as possible. I do appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good read. I noticed there were no periods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, and <laughs> the reason for that is... Yes, this book is about libertarianism, but as I was saying, it's about radical libertarianism, anarchy. And English as a language is a very anarchistic language. You don't need to follow any grammar rules. You don't need to do anything, really. There's no rules. There's just, you could call it you Maybe know, guidelines that are very popular. Guidelines. It's, sure. it's very wibbly-wobbly. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that description. You can really say a whole cremuffin with a nuffin if exactly. it if it if it flancies your dobble at any given <laughs> mibble, right? Because it does. Do any of our words mean anything? I so I I think I fundamentally agree with you. Well, here. I like that you can break the rule. But when you break the rules, it also uh, draws attention to something, especially if you do it for a reason which I really enjoy that you do. It's like you don't have to follow guidelines. So I guess I could see how you're saying it's like poetry because there's a message in the way that you present it as well. Yeah, I didn't follow any grammatical rules at all with this. I even well, invented a couple words. My whole goal with this was to not give a fuck about formatting and those aspects of the English language. But you still get your point across. Like you're, nothing is really lost. In fact, I think you add something uh, by doing that. That was my goal. I found the following sequence of lines pretty fascinating. In 141, it says, this is the anarchist Bible. Well, in 144, it says, this is the foundation of a cult of cultlessness, which has determined liberty to be the supreme factor for the prosperity of both the individual and the society. And the following line proclaims, this is the discovery of Thelemic libertarianism. I'll, let's get into it. Like, what does that mean to you? What What is Thelema look like when you shape it into a political ideology? Utopia Psychonautica as a book, the only theme is freedom and the ways 
to implement that freedom. As far as I know, Thelema is the most liber or not the most libertarian is not the most libertarian, the most free spiritual philosophy. It's about getting rid of illusion. It's about focusing on only what matters and creating your ideal free life. Libertarianism is the political reflection of that. Uh, no physical illusion, no physical barriers to your freedom. So that's what Thelemic libertarianism is. Now, I noticed something that was similar to the book of the law. Section one is called the it, and then section two is called us, right? Yes, or US. It's your choice. Oh, I like that. Yeah, because yeah, because with the I guess with the Thelema deals with yourself because of what you can you can only directly influence that is which is in your sphere of influence, but. Politics brings on, you know, communities and organization. Like, how how do people organize to make a community work? So you, th- there is an otherness to the second part, I guess, the more political part. Yes, the first chapter is about inner freedom, and the second is about outer freedom, societal freedom. Uh, One sixty four states. All of us are currently in heaven. Is this similar to the Buddhist idea that we're already enlightened? We just need to awaken to it. Hmm. I think I mean it more literally than that. Oh, like this is as good as it gets. No, we are obviously part of God, that we are a segment of God, as I say in the book. Anything that is part of God is in heaven. Essentially, there is no other realm. This is all just one realm called heaven. Mm -hmm. And there's no hell to contrast it. This is just all heaven. All of consciousness is heaven. Yeah, number 66, you wrote, uh, only the illusion of hell is authorized by love to exist whereas kind of like it's an illusion to contrast heaven but it is an illusion and heaven is only real right yeah so it could be used as a tool i guess Um, you could call our perception of living a life on earth and not being part of the bigger picture heaven you could call that mini hell because we're taking away from how amazing this realm is yeah you noted yeah heaven is not a utopia which i'm sure a lot of people would disagree but i get what you're what you're saying is this the entire system is part of that right because there's nothing outside of god which is the entire fabric of reality. You also say it's a perfect system. And I, I have trouble explaining that to people sometimes because, you know, if something bad happens within the system, it's not the system that's broken. It's not the people, you know, it's supposed to happen that way. Correct. And pretty much everything in here is information that you can get from tripping on copious amounts of shrooms and acid and whatever you can get your hands on. Truth after truth after truth bomb. See, my whole thing is keeping that knowledge integrated like afterwards because my ego comes back really hard, right? So it helps to have something like this. Like like the line here, don't be a death cuck. Let's talk about this. <laughs> is that is that to say like you can't live your life in the shadow of uh, like fear? fear. Yes. And I correlated that to the book of the law as well. Line 73 of the book of the law. Uh, I don't have my copy with me. Embrace death. Don't even think about it if you can if you can manage. Because you will always be okay. That's pretty much everybody gets that message at some point exactly. in their lives. Even like, you know, when people are preparing to die, they... They, they figure that out on their own. I mean, it's... And with that, you will always be okay line. That goes along with the heaven line. Mm-hmm. Like you can be in the process of being tortured. You can be having a hammer smashing your feet apart in your hands, but you will always be okay. 
this is heaven. You can be in the most excruciating pain and it doesn't actually matter. It's going to, it's going to be all right. And then I also saw here, you say that heaven, it breathes is the only thing that breathes. What do you mean by that? Um, so only heaven lives. There is oh. no hell that lives. Oh, so okay. Lives, so breathe breathes. as in live. Okay. It's like a synonym. Yeah. And Luke, you were talking about how the ego reconsumes you. You feel these revelations, but then your ego reconsumes you. Yes. So in lines 70, 70 and 71 is where I try to hypothesize the reason for that. It's just your doubts. You start to have these doubts and then you create like a doubt ego show, mm. which makes you believe that you're not in an amazing heaven matrix. Yeah, because even if your beliefs don't line up with, say, somebody else's, you're, you also know that pretty much any reflection of reality that any individual experiences is just as real as the next one. We're real, quote unquote. So, you know, if you have self-doubts over what you real. think... Yes. Yeah. Or what you do. It's like, there's no reason to, because it's just as, it's just as valid and meaningful as the next person's actions. It's just as real yet. Nothing is real. Uh huh. Literally nothing. Except for math. Except for math. Love that. Um, yeah. Book of the law, beauty and strength, leaping laughter and delicious languor, force and fire are of us. So I would interpret that as yes, all these things that are uncomfortable are of us. They're part of heaven. And then the slave shall serve, you know, right afterwards. It seems to say that you sort of choose your own uh, uh, mindset. And this reminds me a lot of in your work where it talks about hope and then choosing to be a part of that hope or to shun it. And there's a lot of uh, ways of looking at yourself that either lead to uh, a utopia or somewhere that leads, you know, to the outer rims, the void, right? This reminds me a little bit of that. I would love to to get into the hope section because I really want to know if I'm the first to talk about this, talk about hope in this way, because it just seems too obvious. Is it? Um, where is that at? That hope is the cell of society. It starts, or not the cell of society, the cell of consciousness. Is it like 232? It starts starts around 228. I know in 243 it says humans are machines of hope. Oh, I like right. that. And hopes are so, the cells of consciousness. And then spirits are yes. the cells of hope. So reincarnation, as far as we know, we, we can't postulate that we come back as a being in another life yet with confidence. We don't know that. But there is a form of reincarnation that we, we do know, which is telepathy. Hmm. Telepathy is done through hope and spirit. I've tried to encode things like I've seen Crowley do, which is, you know, telepathy. It's not real telepathy, but it is. It's hope and spirit. Your hopes can be good or bad. You can hope not. So essentially, every action is caused by hope. Everything is right. an act of will in a sense. Yes. It's, it could be looked at as the same thing as will, but it's just another label for it. And spirit is thought. These are the things that we're transferring to each other. We're reincarnating our hopes into other people. We're reincarnating our thoughts into other people through telepathy. That makes and sense. And, is, and seeing yourself know. as a, a number of people is not unlike what's being spoken of in book three, Book of the Law, about having a machine 
to smite the people's a, a war engine, right? And this is meditation, control of the mind. So I can appreciate where you're coming from with this. Yes, this hope section, I would like to get as many eyes on this as possible because I don't know if this has been talked about. You're always hoping at any moment that you are conscious. You're hoping for something or perhaps there is a neutral like gray area. You know, it's just a hope spectrum of emotion. So like a basal animal would like a worm would hope to find sunlight so it doesn't die. Or, you know, yeah, but it still exactly. is driven forward by that by that desire. I like that you brought up will because it is kind of a more specific version of true will, which Crowley obviously talks about. Because you have no right to do anything but your true will. Yes. But this wouldn't even be your true will. This is just your will. You, any moment that you're conscious, you are willing, you are hoping for something. You could call... The array of hope that is your true will, or you can call your array of hope that is the most ideal for you, your true will. It says in the uh, womb, we all hope the same. Hope controls us from the cradle to the grave. Um, and it's a primordial language, which all others are stacked on top of. So you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're saying it's like our, it's like the basis of our, our being. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I like here, you also on 239, you say you're a transmogrifying into the physical manifestation of your hopes. So that would be like um, the more, the stronger hope or will you have for something, you, you actually start to physically change to line up with that, which actually is, is a true thing. Even in science, they're finding that, that there's uh, like, I guess you'd call it psychic or telepathic or spiritual fields of energy that actually form physical bodies. And they tell the cells how to line up to make a tree or something, you know? Right. What is that called? Uh, Morphogenic fields. Right. And I've kind of taken it a little bit beyond that. And I'm not completely sure if I have the scientific lingo to explain it, but I would say that hope is the driver of evolution. You're not, evolution isn't just driven by sex and reproduction and what they say it is. It's driven by all action and Mm -hmm. what is the best action and your hopes. Or or do you have the ability to override your, you know, instinctual action too? Because, you know, animals can't really control whether or not they have a reaction to something. But, you know, it's interesting. Humans have learned how to deprogram certain things about themselves. And I think that's that's using your your spirit or your mind to change the direction of where you're hoping or where you're willing to go. And that is what spirituality is, essentially, mm-hmm. is controlling that. Yeah, controlling how you are to change or to go forward. Right. And discovering the best options and what you should avoid. And like we mentioned a little earlier, our it says here, spirits are the cells of hope. We are the gods of our hopes. Our hopes are the gods of our spirits. Yes. So you get that sense that you don't control your thought. Right. And I would say that's because your thoughts are being controlled by your hopes, what yeah. your actions are. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. It, it also makes sense uh, even in terms of the Abramelin, because you're calling your highest hope, you could say, your holy guardian angel right your your hope line that leads to deity and by drawing yourself into that channel you suddenly become aware of your lower psychological uh i guess you'd call them demons right in the abramelon but since we're all modern now you might call them like these nodes of these like 
anti-hopes or these nodes of things that hold you back from your own personal utopia, right? From fully experiencing heaven as it truly is. And by enforcing that t- that holy guardian angel upon those things, you can, in theory, draw your entire life into the timeline or the the energy channel that you would associate with your highest hope or your holy guardian angel. So that makes sense to me. Yes. And I wouldn't even call demons an outdated term. I think that angels and demons are important archetypes for these nodes, as you say. And 255 and 256, I get into those nodes a little bit and label truthful nodes as angels and illusionary nodes as demons, just as labels that's it so what's like an illusionary node for instance like let's let's get into that illusionary node you could say an illusionary node is anything that deflects from your true will or your true hopes which could be labeled as angels got it yeah or maybe a a delusion because you don't want to face something that's difficult. Like people often will lie to themselves. I think that could be classified as that too. Like you try to convince yourself of the opposite. So, cause you don't want to admit that you're a certain way or you like something or you want to do something. hundred percent. Now it says here to chase the white rabbit of truthful spirit. I certainly can appreciate that because I found truth to be a bit uh, tricky and quick moving and shape changing and multiple multiple multiplicitous, I guess you could say. And the line right before this says, "They will venture to ruin you in the most sophisticated of ways if you put yourself in the position to be ruined." Man, do I love to do that! <laughs> right, people are convinced by thoughts that they have no evidence of. And that's a demon you could look at it as, you know, it's just unnecessary anguish that you're putting yourself through. Yeah. Could it also be a distractionary path? Also, hi. <laughs> hi, Gossamer Lights. <laughs> How's it going? It is going. It's been a night. You're like the little kid that, that was late to class and snuck in <laughs> quietly oh. in the back. <laughs> I figured I shouldn't crash through the gates on that one. Oh, wow. My voice is more messed up than I thought it was. Well, you had fun last night. Okay. (laughs) 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 Okay. Uh, I proclaim this is not from the standpoint of having achieved high character, but from that of having not a bit at all. Can I challenge you on that? I'm sure I have less character than you. I mean, so no, really, what what does this mean? Like, uh, how, how could having no character... Help me interpret this. It is just a turn of phrase. I guess I'm not, I've never completely lacked character, but you get to points in your life where it feels like you're just a piece of shit, you know, and like you're a loser or any number of negative things. Obviously, the contrast of that is high character. You're a winner. You are doing everything right. You're following your true will. So I guess that would mean that I've been in points where I wasn't following my true will at all. And I had no discipline. Well, I was wondering where you stood on that because there's sections in the book of the law. If I I can put my eyes on them, it's basically saying that a Thelema King, you might not 
know them, like, based on how much money they have, because they could end up being like a homeless person, even if they're following their true will. But you can tell, though, that they're a king, even in their, like, homelessness or even in their infamy or, you know, even if outwardly they don't look like a king, they might be inwardly. So that's a good point. If it's your desire to be a homeless person and that's your true will i'll pass though i kind of read it as um lacking the lacking character is just like lacking a defined form i I wasn't thinking of it as a positive negative kind of thing just a defined kind of thing i thought it was interesting like that say you lack character i guess that means that you're easily swayed like you have no personal hopes and you don't use your logic you know to make decisions so i guess that's what people would now call an npc So somebody, somebody who just goes with everything, does everything that they're told to, and have no opinion one way or the other. I just thought it was really deep, but this is like to become the one, you have to let go of everything you are. Like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you can interpret it in a few ways. I like it. On all this discipline has to do with uh, your what in reinforcing your your character. Yes. And discipline is a means to following that white rabbit, following your true will. Because it's never going to be a bad thing to discipline yourself. It's just a positive character building thing. It yeah, says, I gotta get better at that. <laughs> Gandalf will not come and drag you from your hobbit hole. So that's playing <laughs> into that. Like you have to go, you have to prepare yourself for the mission. The wizard is not going to come grab you. So you have to be if, the wizard. Like you have to have some lightsaber sword swinging skills, unless you're a Mary Sue and just magically have them, you have to somehow train in order to go on the mission in the movie. Like, you have to. Is that, do I have this correct? Yes. Oh my God, my godson told me this earlier this week. He's like, Maddie, you've done a lot of like looking inward at yourself. Maybe you need to go out into the world now. And I was like, you're right, David. I do. So yeah, a chick is alive in the egg, but it doesn't truly live till the shell has been cracked. So you, you have to not, you have to take the, the hope and then go with it. You have to take it somewhere. Yeah. At least that was, that that was quote, my read. Yeah, that quote in particular um, did come to me. It seems like it may be out there in the world. I hope to God that there was no parallel thinking there because it just seems like too good of an analogy that it might have been used before. But until I see proof, I wrote it. And then after that, I get into meditation and meditation as a means to building your character, to building discipline. It says here insufficient meditation causes your soul to seep into time. What, what is that? What, did, what do you mean by that? Like get stuck? I would say that meditation helps keep you in present moment. And when you don't, you just start seeping into the past, into the future. Ah. You're seeping at a time with your thoughts, at least. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Thinking about, you know, making yourself anxious. I like your functional take on meditation. And 284 says meditation is more concerned with labeling your thoughts than silencing them. Yeah, that's an excellent point because i can't ever clear my head but just saying oh that's a thought i had helps me you know settle down yeah that's probably one of the biggest oversights in meditation is 
thinking that you have to silence your thoughts, but you don't. And then 285, the most accurate method of doing so is the application of magical analogies. So is this to say that as you're labeling your thoughts, this is where your study is is aiding you, for instance, in like Kabbalah or tarot or whatever it is you're studying? Yeah. And you wouldn't even have to use analogies that are known in the magical zeitgeist. You can come up with your own little terms to throw your thoughts into categories and really dissect how you think. And it also says meditation is the return to the gestational sensation of oneness, the spot with no context. I actually meditated on this statement when I was meditating, and I found it of great use. It reminded me of the cosmogonic A and how um, on certain psychedelic substances, if you trip yourself into that the state of no mind or time or timelessness, you it, you do feel yourself healing and uh moving uh, through things rapidly, you could say. And when you're meditating soberly by returning to this place of timelessness, you do like rein in all those like hopes and demons, you could say. So I, it, I, the meditation section for me, like really pulls it together. I'd say it's probably my favorite section in your whole work. Uh, elimination of diversion from the present second has been misinterpreted as, as the demise of the ego. So you're, you're saying it's not like you're dissolving your ego. You're actually like getting your shit together. <laughs> yes. And there's a lot of new knowledge in this book that I don't know has been put out there. And there's a few pieces of hacky knowledge, which is very mainstream. This meditation section is a lot of hacky knowledge. We all know that meditation brings you to a state of oneness and it aligns you, you could say. So it's my favorite section because meditation gets so misunderstood and I don't I don't know if I can speak for everybody, but my general idea of meditation and what works for me is actually pretty well described here. So maybe it's just as this is the part I understood the best in your work. But I I really did like this section because it um, like breaking through the chains of fear. Um, which lie to you. And um, I don't know, like I, it's, I wouldn't even call it hacky because so much of the stuff in the, in the mainstream is just like, how are you supposed to sound your fucking thoughts, man, for real? Like you, you're you're saying hacky because it's mainstream as in not like you feel an idea just from you. Is that your use of the word there? Yes. I feel like this is all established, not, uh, not going to be super profound to people that are very spiritual. Maybe it's profound. But I, I would argue but the, that the common ground gives them trust in the rest of your knowledge that might be new. Right. So I can't just put all new shit because maybe that wouldn't resonate. But this adding stuff like this helps for resonation like it did with you, Luke. Yeah. I, I don't know if resonation is a word. I looked that up. It might be. It is now. If Shakespeare can make up words, so can we. (laughs) It isn't, but yeah, now it is. And then after the meditation and fear section, you get into the consequences of not meditating or of being fearful. Not necessarily not meditating, but the consequences of fear, which is suicide and negative aspects of consciousness now is 316 
which I hear is sacred to the Christians. Um, it says, <laughs> being depressed is the easiest thing to do. Now, this is another statement, many of which I fundamentally agree with, at least for me in particular. And and the line right above us says, don't actively conspire against yourself. Um, and what you just said right before that uh, about uh, seeing the world in a certain way, not meditating and being sloppy with your spirituality and just living outside of your true will. It feels like suicide. It feels like death. You know, like you're you you are dead in a sense. You're a slave that's serving if you're going to talk about the book of the law. Well, and speaking just from a personal point of view, everyone I know that has committed suicide, I could see the fear, what they were afraid of. And, you know, with my brother, it was, I'll never be able to not be on drugs and be a responsible human. I might as well just give up. You know, it was his darkest moment, but it was an important one. <laughs> uh, chapter 2, Book of the Law, uh, 21. We have nothing with the outcast and the unfit. Let them die in their misery, for they feel not. Compassion is the vice of kings. Step down the wretched and the weak. This is the law of the strong. This is the law of the joy of the world. Think not, O king, upon that lie that thou must die. Verily, thou shalt not die, but live. Now let it be understood. If the body of the king dissolve, he shall remain in pure ecstasy forever. Nuit, hadit, ra horquit. The sun, strength, and sight, light, these are the servants of the star and the snake. So it's almost like saying, like, if you're sad, fuck off. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of one of the harder things about the book of the laws when you run into it. And so I think having something... Can you read... Huh? Can you read the part? Can you read the part about uh, compassion? Is the vice of the kings? I think you said. Yeah, compassion is the vice of kings. That is beautiful and accurate. <laughs> yeah, it's blunt, but it's true. There's no real rules to this game, and nobody's going to help you except yourself. What I, mean, I feel too, like a king is the only person that's going to look around and be like, "Yeah, I don't like it. Let's make it different." And I don't think it's necessarily like that. You shouldn't be like thoughtful or helpful towards people who may be downtrodden, but you can't dedicate your whole day to like trying to pick them up and like dust them off for them. Like it's actually becomes destructive for the entire group. The more that we like fawn over people who just don't have their crap together. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to sit there and be miserable, like there's not much you can do for that person. They have to make that decision on their own, but no one else can get them out of it except them. So I think that I think it's um, accurate, but I don't think it's necessarily like a waste of time to like reassure someone or like, you know, tell them that it's going to be okay or that you're there for them, but not to actually like, you know, put your life aside to help them is what I think it means. It's a moral thing to have compassion and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But on a primal level, before when we're hunter gatherers, you can't be focusing on other people. Yeah. You got to focus on your own existence. So but unless you call the out king. to them, but that's it. <laughs> Unless you're the king, then you have to hunt for everybody because no one else can do it. No, then you can. You don't have to. You can. <laughs> well, I think this concept is really important for like when we discuss libertarianism later, because that's kind of what they're saying. And like the welfare system, I think, is one of those. It's one of those systems where, yeah, it kind of helps people. But should we really be helping to that extent? Because at that point, you're crippling people. We probably have 15 minutes left in the free section of the show. So we still have 15 minutes to say a bunch of things that'll get me demonetized. So let's do it. Let's talk about Why? all the things we're allowed to not talk about online. <laughs> um, let's get into the let's do political it. stuff. Let's do it because now we're into section two. Yeah. Us or US. Now that you told me I could call it US. I'm fine with that. Yeah, either way. Either way. 
I don't have anything polite to say. I was late. <laughs> so you say you'll be calling some balls and strikes in regard to our tenets of institution and watch as the prophecies come to fruition. Um, what, what do you expect is going to happen? So prophecies that I've laid out in chapter two, which once these come to fruition is when Utopia Psychonautica will get the credit it deserves. One is secession. America is not going to remain in one piece for much longer. That's just, it's just impossible unless, unless the world ends. In that case, it wouldn't be in one piece either. But that's one prophecy. Let's see. Well, it is divided into states. I assume that's not what you're talking about. I assume you mean something worse. Right. But it won't be the United States much longer. Oh, man. That makes me sad. I don't want that. Um, I could lose the states. (laughs) I don't know. I'm from Texas. We've been waiting for it my whole life so I can be like fucking Americans. Yeah, see... Kitten must be right, dude. Nobody's about it anymore. It's just it's just fucking weirdos like me holding on to this dumb dream. As I lay out, I think it will be a very good thing in the long run for us to succeed because I think it'll make it possible to create a minarchist, polemic, libertarian society, which will eventually take over the world. Now, what's minarchy and how do what does it have to do with Thelema? So as I was talking about, libertarianism is a perfect reflection of Thelema in politics. The way to implement libertarianism is, you know, you could say anarchy, uh, minarchy. There's a lot of libertarian little subsects. But as an anarchist, I don't think that it's possible to go straight to anarchy. I think there has to be a stepping stone which is minarchy, where, and the reason for it not being possible is the arbitration problem of liberty, which is things like the age of consent, the driving age, all these arbitrary areas of law that if we just said, okay, anarchy is instated right now, that would cause a lot of problems. So the way to get around that is technological revolution, making our morality, basically leveling up our morality. We're yeah. not going to be able to hurt each other in anymore once anarchy is implemented. How so? It, well, I was just going to say it's important to note, like, I don't think that we're spiritually mature enough as, as a group, like as a species to do it like right now. So I would agree with that where we need some checks and, and balances, but, um, like you were talking about how the only real thing is math and patterns and morality is a mathematical equation. It, 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 and it is a truth. Like you can't, it, you can't just say, Oh, well you have to have religion to have morality. That, that is incorrect. And there's principles of morality that are just true no matter what, like one of the libertarian essentially foundations, the non-aggression principle, it's a moral principle, which states that no person can use a physical force against another person. And obviously right now that's still possible, but in a true anarchist society, it has to be impossible to hurt yeah, each everyone other. Will call you out or something. Cause it's just, it's like goes against truth is what you're saying. I believe so. Yeah. So you'd either have to have enough technology to prevent that kind of thing from happening like brute force bluntly, or you'd have to have like basically a, 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 an internet where whenever someone's being a dick, like everyone's like, no, you can't do that. Is that kind of what you mean? Lock in. 
what was the first part about brute force? Like if everyone had a robot and it was like, okay, if I try and fuck with this person, this robot's going to get me. But then like, how do you enforce people to pay taxes and you know, all that? Like, well, there wouldn't be any taxes, no taxes, but well, I- there wouldn't be a use of force telling you that you can't use force. It would just be some kind of revolution, whether it's through psychedelics, through actual technology, Neuralink, who knows, that makes it impossible. It wouldn't be a threat against you, you know. It wouldn't you wouldn't fight fire with fire on that one. See, now this is where it gets slippery. It's like it almost sounds like totalitarian, right? It's like cause if we all had a brain ship that was regulating what we could and could not do, I don't know if you could really call that anarchy per se. And that is an ironic part of it, but I don't believe that it would be some kind of 1984 chip in your brain. I think it would just happen naturally to where no one can hurt each other. This principle is instated in society. It's it's men's it melds with us to where it's just impossible. Like once we all ascend to the same higher level of thinking, we won't want to hurt each other anymore. Right. And this could yeah. take a hundred years. Who knows? I think it could take but a I long time. Because like I feel like there's always going to be like a scraggler or an outcast or somebody who hasn't gotten that level. And they're going to be the ones running around starting gangs and, you know, holding people up with guns and stealing their money. Like that's kind of, because that's usually what happens when there's an absence of power. Somebody just jumps in there and takes the opportunity. Just and takes more say, power for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And to say that there's going to be like all humans will go up one level and like we won't have that problem. I just, to me, that just seems a little um, wishy-washy. But, it is idealistic. It but, is. but if most people were on the same page that we are, um, it could work in that if you have a thief in your midst or somebody who's um, assaulting someone, the entire community would would basically lock that person up. So it's like self, like we, there would be enough people on that level. You're saying that we, that we really wouldn't be a problem. Right. And it would start with, there's enough people. And then eventually it could be literally every person, yeah. but one other prophecy just to shift gears before the free part ends is sometime, I don't know when it's going to be, politicians are going to have the liquid LS thrown on them. And this thought is, I feel like it's almost inevitable. It's like if in the 90s, you were like, dang, a plane could just fly into a building and somebody could do that. It's just a little thing that is inevitable, I feel like. And it would bring... Uh, sorry. What were you saying? Oh, I was just going to say one of my friends actually said that to me the other night. He was like, you know what we used to do back in the day? Like you just right in their face. That'll take care of them. I'm like, those people, (laughs) but maybe they need it. I see your point. (laughs) I don't know if that counts as not being quote unquote violent to other people. Well, it's different than than aggression. Well, his his motivation may have been yeah a little personally motivated, but yeah, now, the spirit uh, of it was there. That uh, would be aggression. That's why I can't say go and do that. I can't it, say. It was just you saying the that politicians. Happens. I was like, oh, I'm very happy. Gosmer lights and Mari were here to help me because thus far I've done a fantastic job of being the idiot's advocate today. But to get at what you're saying about the politicians having. LSD in their system and that this is an inevitability and how some people might laugh at this, but I am also going to 
say that I think that this is a distinct possibility because if I had my own, let's say, magical supply canisters directly infused into the back of my brain like the Matrix, where they could just inject small amounts of, you know, LSD, mostly ketamine and mushrooms (laughs) kind of thing. I could probably understand everything you wrote here in Utopia Psychonautica and be less of a moron talking to you about it. And and to make my case here, I think that having access to these plants, because, you know, you said you said very early on in Utopia Psychonautica that like we're like we are channeling plant consciousness, if we had a more direct route to this, if it was something you could just inject into a politician, maybe we actually could approach some of these utopian ideas, right? Like, because clearly some of us need it. You know what I mean? Hopefully they do it voluntarily, but the more volunteer. Ones, yeah. You're not a politician yet. The hell I'm not. I'm on the radio. I'm kidding. It's like four people <laughs> to this, and that's like you two. I'm going to write you in on the next election. So just a couple things before it goes to the Patreon part. My main influence for this book is a neurological condition that I've had from birth, which causes my whole visual field to be covered in a thick moving static, like on a television. I can see that too. Interesting. You see that? It's called visual snow. Yeah. It's it's like when I take mushrooms, it's the sa- like I see the same thing that I always normally see, like all those patterns. People and stuff. get it on acid, yes, yeah. But people it's always, get it through psychedelic. No, it's always been in the background for me too, but it's probably not as impeding as some people. Well, it causes depersonalization and derealization, which helped with the first line of the book. Oh no, sorry, the second little section where I talk about reality is dead. Because to me, it doesn't feel like anything is real. It's because there nothing is real. Do you find that thought to be like comforting or saddening or nothing well, at all? It's like both, right? Kind of comforting, I would say. Same for me. I, it just told me I could hack the system when I felt that. And 25% of all Patreon proceeds or Utopia Psychonautica are going to go to a Visual Snow fundraiser just because I'm so curious about what the fuck it is. It's just moving static across my whole visual field. It's like, what the fuck? I would donate you know? to that and I want to learn more too. Yeah, where can you find Utopia Psychonautica? Where can we get in on this? UtopiaPsychonautica.com. The full transcript is free, and it's Utopia Psychonautica on Twitter, Instagram, and there's going to be an audiobook coming out in the next week, which is an audiobook experience. There's going to be a visual aspect. There's going to be music. Um, so be ready for that. Get in on that, and it's all free. So. It- and I'm putting that audiobook out because I hate reading too. I don't read. The entire time I wrote this book, I didn't read pretty much anything. So I imagine the visual snow would make the reading annoying. It does. That's actually a common part of it, is it makes it a little bit tricky. Do you have any plans to publish this in a book format? I'm self publishing it through Book Baby, but as far as real publishing i doubt anybody would be interested yeah like an eta for the hard copy or are you still in the works if it gets enough traction i'll put out a hard copy but i'm not even worried about that put out a hard copy you're really gonna have to put into like 
finding the right paper for each page and just make it a very tactile experience. Dude, that would be cool. Yeah, bound in human skin. Um, for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more in the Patreon section, probably about shit we can't say here. What's the blockchain there? Yeah, we're going to talk about some blockchains and even more. And probably even more about drugs, because that's all I ever want to talk about. Uh, so thank you, everybody. Eat carrots and shoot lasers.